Can you walk? Can you move? Terrible? You didn't play real sports, so you wouldn't have an excuse. Jeannie, can you move? (laughs) We're on. Okay, if you would, please. Turn to Galatians 3. We're going to be dealing with verses 13 and 14. But I I will go back and I will read from verse 10. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Blessed is the reading of God's holy Word through the Apostle Paul. Father, I I beg, as a weak, frail, sinful, undone object of Your mercy in Jesus Christ, that You give to me the spirit of a teacher to be true to these words that Paul penned. To be true to the biblical theology that is for every Christian to see, to revel in. So help us see it. Help us get it. Help us comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Jesus Christ to us through this sermon this morning to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. The Last Supper, Jesus said, as He took the cup, this cup represents the blood, saying, in other words, I, Jesus, I have come in order to go to the cross so that I would inaugurate the new covenant. So here's the question. Just let it sit over you through this sermon. Do you know one of the main differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? Could you explain it to someone, who you as a Christian, if they asked you, what's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? And a much more important question than that is this. Do you live as a new covenant person? 
Or do you live under the curse of the old covenant? These are eternally significant questions. And our passage this morning will lead us to consider the distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant in Jesus' blood. So, let's go back. Galatians 3. As he turned the chapter, so to speak, in Galatians, starting with verse 1, chapter 3, all the way, what we see into verse 12, summarized, Paul has been clear. The, it is only those who are of faith, living by faith, who will inherit the blessings promised to Abraham. That is, salvation and the Holy Spirit. So we saw last week in verses 10 through 12 that Paul contrasted works of the law, way of life, over against living by trust in God, faith in God. We saw that by works of the law, Paul means an approach to God. Thank you, God, up there. Thank you for your your book of the law over here. Now I will go to it, and I will do it, and thus be made okay with you, God, judicially. Become righteous. I will seek my own righteousness through my doing of the law. And Paul says that approach itself is sinful. You live by that, you are under the curse of the law. Paul has been saying that our flesh, our sinful nature, our arrogant, prideful law doing of works of the law was never the intended meaning of Moses. Works of the law, he didn't have a a special term for legalism. I think that term, works of the law, is Paul's way of talking about legalism. We don't mean law obeying in all of its ways, whether it's negative or positive. Legalism means that's an approach to God that in and of itself is sinful, prideful, wrong-headed. But instead, the law itself always appeals to a heart of faith that loves Him, the God who gives it, that trusts in Him. That's why Paul says in the last verse of Romans 3, after laying out this glorious gospel of salvation through Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, he says, do we then overthrow The law? Answer, no. On the contrary, because of faith, we uphold the law. And and then there's the stunning statement of Paul in Romans 9. Starting with verse 31 where he declares, and he refers to himself before he came to faith, and all his other fellow religious Jews, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, 
did not succeed in reaching that law. They didn't reach righteousness through the law. And then he puts in the word, okay, question, why? His answer is this, because they did not pursue the law by faith. But as if, which means it never was, as if it were based on works. And so as we come now to verses 13 and 14, context, Paul has pitted our sinful nature, our flesh as sinners. We're all born as sinners. Our, and therefore, if you go religious with it, as opposed to, oh, I'll just eat, drink, and be merry. You can go that way. Or, I'll be religious. He has pitted that fleshly activity called works of the law over against faith. And He says, we are all under the curse. It means the condemnation of the law. Religious sinners or pagan or secular sinners. Here we are. God acts. Sends Moses. He gives the law. And it does its job. Condemns us. That's all the law could do for us. See, when the state of California, the legislature, when they write law, thou shall not murder. That's not good news to murderers. It's not, well, look at the law came to save me from murder. No, it didn't. It came in order that you may be condemned for the murder. That's what the law does. We're all under the curse. Now look at verse 13. Because Paul goes on to tell us that our problem of our, our flesh, our, our, the nature in which we're born as God-haters, as sinners, spiritual death to God, is taken care of by the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He gets that from Deuteronomy 21. But now what? Christ did this, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus then, not the curse, but the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Spirit through faith. Christ redeems us from condemnation that the law brings. The curse of the law. When Paul writes this, he knows as he refers to himself before Damascus Road as a Ph.D. in religion, in theology, as a religious zealot, a Pharisee, a works of the law advocate. Paul now, looking back, realizes I stood under the curse as that person. Why? Because he knows. Ah, oh, he didn't know before. Couldn't see it. 
But now that his eyes are open, he looks back and knows the reason I was under the curse was because I was not alive to God by new birth. He looks back and knows, I knew nothing experientially of obedience, of faith to God. But instead, he was seeking his own righteousness. That's Paul's view. This is how he says it in Romans 10 about himself and other fellow Jews outside of Christ. He says, in being ignorant, missing it, not truly knowing the truth on the issue, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, which, which, which it's a gift. It's a gift He gives to you. It's not your own righteousness. This is the Gospel. But being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they, my fellow Jews, did not submit to God's righteousness. Seeking their own. So, as we see, the law can only condemn us sinners. There's no hope unless God transfers the curse that we're under to someone else who could bear it and the full weight of it and thus satisfy justice that the law demanded against us. And that's our text. Christ bore the curse of the law. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, it is for our sake that God made Christ to be sin. He made Him to be sin. Offering. That, that is the One who Himself knew no sinning. He never sinned and He did this so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. Now, look down at your Bible to verse 14. What's the purpose of that in this passage? In order that, that's purpose, or so that, this is what he's saying. He did this, Christian, is that you? so that our hearts may be changed to truly obey God from a heart as the fruit of our justification. That's what he says. That's what he means by so that we may receive the promised Holy Spirit. The cross of Jesus purchased not just the opportunity to be saved. He purchased salvation. He purchased new birth. Why is it? As Jesus said, new birth is like the wind blows. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It just comes. It happened to me at age 19. Did nothing for it. The wind of the Spirit blew. Why? How could God do that to a wretched, hell-bound sinner like me? 
How could He come to me and change my heart? Only because Christ paid for that mercy. The cross bought the new birth of the Holy Spirit which produces that saving faith which then gets you the justification you desperately need. And not only purchased that, it purchased from then on out your walk by the Holy Spirit. Your walk of faith in the Christian life. It is impossible to obey the Creator. To obey what He says, anything He says, any law, any rule that He gives without the renewing work of the Holy Spirit to us sinners. Impossible. We either react, (laughs) nope, let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die and I will ignore Him. Or we become very religious. I will do it. I will live by my works of the law. I will foundationally stand upon what I do. And both lead to hell. Okay. Picture that, whichever way over here, here we are as humans, born in sin, and new birth has not happened. But God's Word comes. That's Old Covenant. It's the distinction. The New Covenant is the Spirit has blown and made you alive to Him. The promised Holy Spirit is given because Jesus paid for it. The basic difference between the Old Covenant that was instituted by God through Moses, through the law, over against the New Covenant that was offered and paid for by Jesus Christ, the basic difference between those two covenants is not that one of them has commandments. And the other one doesn't. They both have commandments. It's not the distinction. The distinction is that in the Old Covenant, the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell and allow us to participate in true obedience to God with a heart of faith was not given for the most part in the Old Covenant. That's the difference. See, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come now through the Gospel preaching to Jew and to Gentile. It might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This points to the new covenant. I want you to turn to Romans 7 for a minute. And if you if you got more than one finger, put another finger in Second Corinthians three for a second. In Romans seven, picking up with verse five, Paul writes For while we were living in the flesh, okay, 
This is Paul's way of saying, before we were born again by the Spirit, before we came to saving faith in Christ, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law of God, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, meaning, I've been born again. The Spirit dwells within me. But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So what? What happens now, Paul? So that we serve. Serve? What do you mean by that? How do you serve a master if you don't know anything he said to you to do? No, no, we serve. So now we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Literally, the newness in us now of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, it's the word grammatos there. Just to say it woodenly, not the old letter. Okay, that's important for a minute because the exact same word he's going to use here now in 2 Corinthians where I think Paul unfolds what he really means by what he just said right there. 2 Corinthians 3, 5-6 shows what's in Paul's mind. Our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Now watch how he unfolds. What do you mean, Paul, new covenant? A new covenant, not of the letter. Same word. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, what's in Paul's mind is this. When he says the letter over against the Spirit, he doesn't mean ignore God's written Word. He doesn't mean that. What Paul is saying, by the letter he means, as non-born again, or non-Holy Spirit indwelt persons who have the Bible, or who have Moses, who have the law. That's all we got. Our sin and His written law. That is to be under the letter. And it does one thing. Kills. Kills! Whether you become a Pharisee like Paul, or just say, I don't want anything to do with religion. You're dead. You're a sinner. The law that God gave me, it's holy, it's pure, it's righteous, it is good. And if you're under the letter of it, which means the Holy Spirit has not come to raise you to new life in Christ, it will only kill you. Paul says, but now we don't serve the letter written on stone, but in the new way of the Spirit we act and we serve. See, because he says, but 
of the Holy Spirit. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. He means we're alive to God's Word. God's Word now jives with our hearts because He changed them. Now, I'm going to go, let's go back. If you've got a paper, Bible, just go back to the beginning of the Bible because the first five books of the Bible are the books of Moses, are what we call the Torah, or the law. And in the law, it is clear that God saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, don't have any gods before me. Make no grave enemies. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't covet. Is God's grace being poured out? And therefore, that gracious law is an appeal to the obedience of a heart of faith in Him. It was always there in the law. For instance, in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, in Deuteronomy, at the end of 40 years, verse 29, we read this. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. That is what, what, what? To fear me. That's a heart issue that he's after. And to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. But the point that is being made here in Deuteronomy as is the, the example throughout the wilderness wanderings is that the vast majority as a whole would not obey. They had no heart for God. Only a few, only the remnant did. And the point here is that most of them will not have a heart that appropriately fears God or believes in God. Throughout Israel's history, there will always be that small minority, just the remnant, that do. Because why? Because the outpouring of new birth by the Holy Spirit was reserved for post-Jesus times. As Paul says in Galatians, God's ready. In the fullness of time, everything's been done that needs to be done now. Here we go. God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. That was always the plan, always the purpose. Stay there in Deuteronomy. Chapter 29 now, verse 4. It's right there in the law. Moses says, But to this day, Israel, the Lord has not done something. The Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And one chapter later, Deuteronomy 30, 
we hear a prophecy, a foretelling of the future. Verse 6 of chapter 30. And the Lord your God, future tense, the Lord your God will, in the future, He will circumcise your heart. That's Old Testament language for new birth. He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. That right there in Moses is the new covenant promise that we see more explicitly in the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel hundreds of years later. So first turn to Jeremiah 31 and look at it. Around the year 600 B.C., before, 600 years before Jesus, Jeremiah prophesies. Starting with verse 31 of chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant, I think we can insert here, not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. That is this, my old covenant that they broke, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant. This is the new covenant that in the future I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now He lays it out. I will put My law within them. And I will write it not merely on stone tablets. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be My people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord! No, because if they're in the New Covenant, every single one of those persons know the Lord. They shall all know Me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. In the Old Covenant, David, Samuel, Moses, Joshua, they all had to cry out, No, the Lord! Because most of them didn't. But they were in covenant with God. In the New Covenant, Gentile and Jew, if you come into that covenant by Him doing that, I will put My law within them and write it on their hearts. You know Him. Every one of those persons knows Him. Just flip over a couple through Lamentations into Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel, the prophet, foretells in the New Covenant this way. Chapter 11, verses 19 to 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone. That means hard-heartedness toward God there. 
I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh, pliable, soft towards the Lord. Why, why will we do that? Why? Why? Verse 20, so that they may walk in My statutes and keep My rules and obey them. And they shall be My people and I will be their God. Now, Ezekiel 36, one more. Ezekiel 36, 26, he writes, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. And be careful to obey My rules. And Jesus says, Guys, this cup that we're about to drink is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. So, I mean Old Testament different than I mean Old Covenant right here. So, in the Old Testament then, we get redemptive history unfolding. God establishes for Himself a covenant people. Starts with one man, Abraham. Abraham, through your son Isaac, Isaac, through your son Jacob, Jacob's, your name is now changed to wrestle with God. It's Israel. And Israel has twelve sons, and these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And hundreds of years later, they're in slavery in Egypt, and God sends Moses to deliver them out of slavery in Egypt. And then He institutes the law for His covenant. People. And in that law, it has cultural laws. These, these cocooning or separating laws. I will make my people Israel holy. In other words, different. I will separate you from all other peoples of the earth. And He gives them laws to do it. Like kosher laws and festival laws and circumcision of all your male children, boys on the first day and washings, etc. And then He gives them tabernacle. Temple laws. Gives them a priesthood and the laws of the priesthood. Gives them the whole sacrificial system. All of these things pointing to the One who will purchase the new covenant one day. Pictures of Christ. And then throughout, He has given them the moral law. He's given them the Ten Commandments and many others that are universal, not just for Israel. So there's the law. They're under the Mosaic Covenant. That covenant, the Old Covenant, was not deficient because it had commandments. But because it was not by and large accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell so that they could obey it. It by and large was not accompanied for the vast majority of those under that covenant with the Holy Spirit producing new birth that transformed their hearts 
change their hard, rock-hard hearts to hearts of flesh. But the reason Moses loved this God, and thus loved His law, is that to him, it wasn't just God speaking on stone. To him, God wrote the law by the Spirit on his heart. Even though he was in the Old Covenant era, he was a New Covenant person. See, the reason that Moses or Joshua or Caleb or Samuel or David or Elijah or Jeremiah or a teenage girl named Mary in Nazareth or an old woman named Anna or Simeon who prophesied over baby Jesus or Peter or Paul many of our brothers and sisters over the last 2,000 years of church history, or you or me, any of us, before Christ or after, that any of us could actually have any genuine inkling of a love for God is because He doesn't speak merely on the pages. What's written on the pages is mercifully also written on our hearts. That's new birth. That's new covenant people. He gives us, not just as sinners, my law, but He gives us Himself along with His Word. Jesus redeemed us from the curse, from the condemnation of the law by the blood of the new covenant, which then, in the hearing, the mercy that the gospel comes to us, the word of God comes to us, he raises us spiritually from the dead in order to believe. We have a heart of faith, and by faith we are justified once and for all. Jesus' righteousness is ours. Our sin is put away. And now, throughout the rest of our life, until they bury us, as those who are justified, we walk never without sin, never perfectly but genuinely we walk and obey and repent and obey from a heart of ongoing trust and faith and love to our Father. This is the new covenant in my blood. Paul just says, He bore the curse of the law to bring about this gift of the Spirit, which is the fulfillment of the new covenant, which means everything that is promised in the new covenant was purchased, secured by Jesus' work, not ours. And so the result, I'm not going to go there right now, but Paul lays this out in 2 Corinthians. He lays out the difference between the letter of the law, meaning those who are not born of the Spirit of God 
may be very religious, and they read Bible, and read Bible, and read Bible, and read Moses, and he says, a veil lies over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the Bible stays there. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Love God with all of your heart. Give Him the first fruits. It all stays there. And the veil is lifted. And you are transformed ongoingly as if into a mirror because what is written here is not just there outside of you. It's written on our heart. And that's why the mirror of the written Word is so important for our lives to grow, to be changed from one degree of glory to another. Christ redeemed us from the condemnation, the curse of the law. He came and He became a curse for us and He bore it. He took... That's justice was done on Him. It's removed. No double jeopardy here. And now, He did it to make you, if you're a believer, a new covenant person. He made you alive. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's our text. And so this does mean that the foundation under our lives as new covenant people is the blood of the eternal covenant that Jesus shed. Our initial faith at that moment, whether you can pinpoint it or not, I believe. You know that you have this, He's a treasure in the field. You're alive. That moment, you were justified. That was purchased by Jesus. And every moment for the next 89 years, however long He gives you of your ongoing battle of a heart of faith and trust called sanctification was all purchased by Jesus. And He will do it. He bore the curse. He paid for it all. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. It means that our freedom from being under the law, under the works of the law, is because Christ dealt with the law's curse against us on the cross. It's removed. And He fulfilled the law in perfect righteousness. And our sin was imputed to His account. And He died. And His righteousness was imputed to our account. And we stand perfectly righteous before the Father. And thirdly, therefore, it means based on Jesus' purchase on the cross, He purchased those new covenant promises of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Paul can just say it this way. He did it so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What promise? Well, like what Jeremiah said, the new covenant is this I will pour or I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Or Ezekiel, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in My statutes and keep My rules and obey them. In the justified person, the Holy Spirit is doing this newness from the inside, working its way outwardly. It's messy, but if you're justified, it's happening. He writes the law on our hearts and He's shaping our desires and our will by using the means of grace. The written Word, foundationally. The Bible. You can actually spend time reading it prayerfully. The means of grace of the church that Jesus came to build called fellowship, body life. There's one body, many members. It's a means of grace. The means of grace of what's happening right now called preaching. What we will be doing in a few minutes celebrating Holy Communion. His body in His blood. The means of grace, of service that He's called you to. It's a means of grace to walk in those works that He has prepared beforehand that you will walk in them. The means of grace of becoming stewards over all or the little stuff God's given us in life. These are means of God's ongoing grace in New Covenant people. We are freed from the letter of the law. Meaning, merely carved in stone over there. Or or merely through the printing press. It's on paper now. Billions of them. No, we're freed from the letter of the law. We're freed, in other words, from the external list of love me, praise me, worship me, find me your treasure, don't do this, don't do that, go this way, trust me, I have your will at heart. We're freed from the tyranny of the letter that screams at us, comply, comply, when we have no heart to comply. We're freed from it if you're a New Covenant person. Because if you're a New Covenant person, you do now have a heart to comply. That's the New Covenant. And so now, the question comes. Are we who are saved by grace through Jesus' blood of the New Covenant? Okay, what do we do now then? What do we do tomorrow? What do we, are we to be neutral? Are, are we to be indifferent toward our sin against God's law? Are, are we to be neutral toward the Ten Commandments? Are we to be neutral? I don't care one way or the other. Indifferent to morality? Are we to be indifferent to the numerous 
New Testament commandments directly to church-going, professing Christians? Are we to be indifferent to the laws of the first fruits? Are we to be indifferent to Jesus' constant warnings against the love of money in the Gospels? No, no, no. If you are justified by genuine faith flowing from the new birth, which is the fulfillment of the new covenant, making you a new covenant person, then you're united to Jesus. He is the satisfying fountain of living water that you crave. And thus you go on drinking and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit out of fellowship with Christ. You know God, His Father, as, and only because Jesus' very Spirit dwells in you, as Abba, Daddy, not just the Creator who gave commands, but as an ongoing, living, Holy Spirit experience to live is Christ. Oh, I've been crucified with Christ. That's a joy, Paul thinks. All my Phariseeism has been slaughtered there. God's wrath has been satisfied against me through Him. I've died to works of the law. I've died to legalism. I died to the letter of the law, the tyranny of religion. And I'm alive. Oh, I live. But not I. Christ lives in me, and thus the life I now live. I live by faith. I trust Him. Because Jeremiah's happened to me. Ezekiel's happened to me, he's saying. It's written on my heart. This is what it means to be a new covenant person. The law of God, the truth of God, right and wrong that God reveals is being written by the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. And therefore, for new covenant people, God's law does not crush them from without. <laughs> like it did when you're under the letter of the law. It doesn't. You're in Christ. Jesus satisfied the curse against you. He satisfied the wrath of God that was over you. It's Taken away. He satisfied the requirements of the law in His humanity perfectly. And His perfect righteousness before His Father is given to you. And therefore, is already okay with God and God okay with you forever. That is, justified persons, we are Free. That's there. You're free to obey Him. That's what He bought. 
I mean, the outworking of it, oh gosh, are we riddled with sinful inclinations. Paul calls it our flesh. He wants to make sure it's not sin out there walking around. It's you. But if you're of a new covenant person, something happened and is happening. God the Spirit is dwelling in you. And therefore, you gave in to your sinful inclination. And Paul says, oh gosh, there I go again. Okay, that's a sign you're a new covenant person. Because you hate your sin. And you turn the next day and say, no, I've defeated that one. And all of that obedience by the Spirit, totally and always imperfect down here, has all been purchased by Jesus. And is a work of Christ. So, so for instance, this new covenant works itself out this way. It's not the law that merely comes from the outside, but new covenant people flee sexual immorality because they're new covenant people. They know the temptation, but they flee it because they're pursuing their real happiness in Jesus. And that's a work of the Spirit. This new covenant written on our hearts, it it works itself out as we daily battle as schizophrenics against our own sinful nature and the work of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture in us by battling daily idolatry, enmity, strife, Gossip, divisions, adultery, homosexual activity. All of this, it comes not just from without. I guess I'm not supposed to do that. Are you sure you know the Lord? No. It comes from the work of the Spirit within that is mirrored in God's Holy Word to you. There's a huge difference. We obey the commands, love one another, forgive each other, serve others, help others, tithe, on and on. These things are not external. I guess so. They are expressions of joy in the heart of New Covenant people. I know Him. You don't have to tell me no Him. Actually, He first knew me. Oh, when I open up His Word to Moses, I come alive. To Luke, I come alive. To Romans, I come alive. And so, I close with a question. Are you a new covenant person? Okay. This is awesome. Yes, I am. Then you are absolutely freed to joyfully serve God 
and serve others. To love what is good. To love what is just. To love what is moral. To hate evil. And to love mercy. And to do justice. This is Paul's message at the core and the whole throughout Galatians. He will come to chapter 5. He will say, Galatians, you got to get it. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, do not turn back again to legalism, to works of the law, but turn and turn and turn to union with Jesus by the Holy Spirit and thus love other people. And by the way, he says, that is the fulfilling of the law. Because it's not just written externally to you. It's written on your heart. Oh, we're going to joyfully partake as baptized believers the body and the blood This purchased our new life in Christ now, our resurrection in the future, and being done with this body of sin forever one day as we glory in our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank You so, so much for the gift of Your Son. You did not hold Him back, but You sent Him and You delivered Him up for us all. And therefore, you will absolutely and joyfully and freely give to us all things we need. To the glory of your name. Amen.